You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Carr. Before we get started today, college football is right around the corner. There's no better place to get all of your Pac-12 conference news than the Locked On Pac-12 podcast hosted by Cindy Robinson. Follow the Locked On Pac-12 podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Monday, August 9th, and we are now 92 days away from Gonzaga's home opener against Dixie State. We're getting closer and closer. And as we did last week, we are going to continue our countdown with the significance of each number uh, on a daily basis. So that number 92 today is the number of points Gonzaga scored in their opening game of the 2016-17 college basketball season. They beat Utah Valley 92-69. to Silas Melson led the way with 17 points. And Nigel Williams-Goss had 14 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists in his first game in a Gonzaga uniform, which is obviously a sign of great things to come. Of course, that team uh, would go on to win 29 straight games. Gonzaga would go on to their first ever national championship game before falling to North Carolina. And it all started with a 92-point outburst on November 11, 2016. Number 92, also the number of wins in Richie Fromm's career. And that graduating class of Richie Fromm, Matt Santangelo, Axel Dench, Mike Nielsen, Ryan Floyd was by far the most successful in school history up until that point, and they helped put Gonzaga on the map. Without that group, none of this ever happens. So whenever there's a chance to shout them out, I will always, always do that. Come back tomorrow morning. We'll find out why the number 91 is important in Gonzaga history. Okay, today on the show, we are looking back on the 2005 Gonzaga Bulldogs. It's Adam Morrison's breakout sophomore season, and it's Roni Turioff's senior year. We'll also continue our Path to Playing Time series with some words on Yvonne Ejim, who almost single-handedly won Gonzaga the WCC Tournament Championship uh, last March, and she is on the path to becoming their next superstar forward. Before we get to all of that, let's recap a bunch of games that happened over the weekend, and we're going to go ahead and start with the aforementioned Yvonne Ejim, because she is playing in the U19 FIBA World Cup on the women's side. Chet Holmgren, of course, played on the men's side and took home the gold medal for the United States. Yvonne Ejim is playing for her hometown of Canada, and she tore it up this weekend. They ended up losing by a point to Japan in their first game, uh, but Yvonne Ejim, 21 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, and a block in 37 minutes. She shot 9 of 17 from the field. She followed that up the very next day with a double-double, 20 points, 10 rebounds, two steals in just 28 minutes. They beat the Czech Republic. She was eight for 12 from the field and four or four from the free throw line. So in two games now, she's averaging 20 and a half points and nine and a half rebounds on 59% shooting and 78% from the foul line. Of course, we're going to talk about uh, Yvonne Egypt some more later on today in this program, but uh, her Canadian team is now one and one and all four teams in her group are now one and one. The entire uh, tournament is taking Monday off, and so they'll be back in action on Tuesday morning going up against Mali. With a win, they'll finish, uh, at worst, number two and possibly number one uh, in their group. So I'll continue to keep you posted on the FIBA U19 World Cup on the women's side and Yvonne Ejim playing for Canada. Here we turn our attention now over to the NBA Summer League, where we have 
eight different Gonzaga Bulldogs playing in Las Vegas over the next uh, 10 days or so. And let's start with Killian Tilly because he actually finished up uh, his uh, Salt Lake Summer League over the weekend. And Friday night, the Memphis Grizzlies beat the San Antonio Spurs against Zach Norvell. Zach Norvell did not play in that game for the Spurs, but Killian Tilly had a solid showing. 11 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, and a steal in Memphis's win. So he's played two games already in the Summer League, and both of them he had a pretty decent showing, which is great news for him. Uh, of course, they will move on to the uh, Las Vegas Summer League now. The Grizzlies will play today at 2 o'clock Pacific time. That game will be on ESPN2, and they're taking on the Brooklyn Nets. Three other former Zags were scheduled to play, or at least their teams are scheduled to play on Sunday. The first was Corey Kispert. It was supposed to be his first uh, look in a Washington Wizards uniform. That game was postponed or canceled. I don't know. It's probably just going to be canceled straight up. Uh, The Wizards are having some health and safety protocols issues. And so uh, that game is canceled. I'm not sure when the Wizards will actually be able to play their next game. They are scheduled uh, to play next on Tuesday night, but we'll see if that actually happens. Ryan Woolridge, he is in the NBA Summer League. I did not know this until this weekend. Ryan Woolridge is playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder in their Summer League. They had their first game on Sunday night. He did not play. Uh, There's 13 players on the roster. They played 10 of them on Sunday, and Ryan Woolridge is one of the three that did not play. For those that don't know, uh, Ryan Woolridge actually played in the uh, G League for the Oklahoma City G League team this past season. They're called the Oklahoma City Blue. He played 14 games for them, averaged six and a half points, four rebounds, and four assists. And that Oklahoma City G League team and their summer league team, both coached by Grant Gibbs, Gonzaga legend Grant Gibbs. So kind of a cool connection there. Uh, both former players who played one season at Gonzaga. The other man in action on Sunday night was Joel Yai. And I actually had a chance to watch this game because the event that I was working uh, got canceled. And so the Lakers beat the Suns 73-72, Austin Reeves for the Lakers, had a putback with about two seconds to go, but the game itself was just terribly, terribly ugly. Uh, Joel Yai started again for the Lakers. He played 22 minutes. He did not have a point. He was 0 for 3 from the field, but he did grab five rebounds, had an assist, and had a steal. It's interesting watching a Yai with Summer League players because this is not, um, Summer League is not a role where he will excel, so to speak, because Summer League is a lot of one-on-one, trying to get stuff for yourself, not necessarily playing in a huge, you know, team environment. It's guys, you know, trying to show out and and prove that they belong on a roster by scoring as many points as they can. That's not really what Joel Ayayi does. So they have him, you know, in the corner and he does what he typically does, which is a lot of cutting and a lot of uh, cutting on the baseline. And in Gonzaga's system, Their players are trained to look for that. In Summer League, the Lakers' Summer League roster is not trained to look for that. So I I think Ayayi would work well with LeBron James and Anthony Davis because those guys are always looking for open guys when they're getting double teamed. But in a Summer League system, I don't think Ayayi is going to be able to show what he's capable of. Um, So it's, it's interesting to watch. Uh, Ayayi play. He's played two out of two of his last three games now. He hasn't scored a basket. Um, and it's, uh, you know, he's rebounding the ball, which is awesome. But I would like to see him play with, uh, you know, much more skilled players, those guys like LeBron James, because I think he'd have a much, much bigger role um, on those kinds of teams than he would in the Summer League. Five more Zags playing tonight for the first time in the uh, Vegas Summer League. 
We get our first look at Jalen Suggs coming up tonight against the Warriors. If you're interested, 5 p.m. tonight, Magic and Warriors. The game will be on NBA TV uh, at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas. He is one of five players, like I said, five former Zags uh, scheduled to be in action tonight. Zach Norvell and the San Antonio Spurs. They'll be playing at 4 o'clock Pacific time, taking on the Timberwolves. That game will be on ESPNU if you would like to watch that one. And then at 3 o'clock on NBA TV, the lead-in to the Magic game, it will be the Sacramento Kings uh, taking on the Charlotte Hornets. The Sacramento Kings have Jonathan Williams III on their roster. And then Killian Tilly, like I mentioned earlier, he's playing today at 2 o'clock. Uh, Pacific time on ESPN2. They are taking on the Brooklyn Nets. And then Philip Petrushev, uh, he's playing at 1 o'clock. So we've got a guy at 1 o'clock in Petrushev, 2 o'clock, Killian Tilly, 3 o'clock, Jonathan Williams, 4 o'clock, Zach Norvell, 5 o'clock, Jalen Sucks. So if you're interested and you got nothing to do late afternoon, watch a bunch of summer league action. It's some pretty ugly basketball sometimes, but it's still cool uh, to be able to watch some former Zags hopefully try to make all of their rosters. Okay, that's it for uh, the games that happened over this weekend and the ones coming up tonight. Coming up to finish the show, we are going to reminisce on the 2005 Gonzaga Bulldogs featuring a veteran, Rony Turioff, a newcomer named J.P. Batista, and a breakout performance from a very young Derek Rivio. Before we get to all that, here's a question. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose Is that really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes, winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is literally showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. Stat Hero gives you multi day fantasy and survivor contests for all sports all year long. Go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Okay, so Blake's step. He is now gone off of the 2004 uh, roster leading into the 2005 season. But it's not just Blake's step that leaves the roster and that they have to fill for. It's also Corey Violet, who averaged 14 points and 8 rebounds. And it's also two really good role players in Tony Skinner, who started a lot of games. And Kyle Bankhead, who is one of the best shooters in Gonzaga history. So they got to replace all of those guys. And the biggest question coming into the 2005 season is what would happen at the guard position? They just went from Matt Santangelo to Dan Dickow to Blake Stepp, and now they need somebody to step up. Turns out that guy is named Derek Rivio. Derek Rivio ends up as a sophomore averaging 13 points and 5 assists. And most of those assists went to either Adam Morrison, Rodi Turioff, or a newcomer named J.P. Batista. J.P. Batista, of course, the 6'10", 270-pound absolute monster. And we'll talk about him, obviously, again tomorrow. So this 2005 team entered the season ranked number 25, and they weren't quite sure how that guard position would all shake out. But they knew they had a great piece in uh, Adam Morrison, and they knew they had a phenomenal piece in Roni Turioff, who decided to come back, somewhat surprisingly maybe, uh, for his senior season, in large part because he wanted to play 
with Adam Morrison once again. Of course, Roni Turioff made a great decision. He was uh, named the 2005 WCC Player of the Year. He averaged 16 points, 9.5 rebounds, and just under 2 blocks. He led the WCC in free throws and free throw attempts each of his last three seasons at Gonzaga. He led the WCC in rebounds per game, and he was top 20 in all of college basketball, his senior season in rebounds per game. So let's talk about the season itself now. Like I said, they entered the season ranked number 25 in the preseason polls. They would start the year 3-0, beating three big Sky teams, but then they would go on to face an Illinois team that was one of the best in the country. That 2005 season was really all about Illinois and North Carolina, and they were on a collision course the entire year. Of course, they played a instant classic national championship that North Carolina beat the Fighting Illini. But uh, Gonzaga... Uh, you know, they get beat up a little bit. They lose by 17 to that Illinois team, but they bounce back four days later by beating top 15 ranked Washington. They still own the Washington Huskies. They put up 99 points on a Washington team that ends up being the number one seed out West and going to the Sweet 16. They beat them 99 to 87 at home in the McCarthy Athletic Center. They would go on to beat Washington State one week later. Uh, so they beat Washington and they beat Washington State within a week, which is obviously a a huge accomplishment. And then uh, about a week and a half after that, they go beat Georgia Tech, who at the time was ranked number three overall. They kind of faltered a little bit, but they're still a very good team. They ended up getting a five seed that year. Um, And then, of course, was the Oklahoma State game um, where they beat a third-ranked Oklahoma State, um, who ended up becoming a two seed in uh, the NCAA tournament. They beat them uh, in Oklahoma. So, Within about three and a half weeks, all in December, they beat Washington, who was ranked 15th, Georgia Tech, who was ranked number three, at Washington State, which is, you know, not a ranked team, but still uh, a, a nice win and a, and a, you know, in-state rivalry, and they beat number three, Oklahoma. They beat multiple top five teams within two and a half weeks of each other. A fantastic non-conference schedule for Gonzaga. After all this work, they finish 10-2 and in the non-conference, and they get to as high as number 11 in the polls leading into the WCC season. And of course, the very first road trip in WCC play, they lose at St. Mary's. That's the first loss to St. Mary's in the Mark Few era. They had won 17 straight games dating back to 1998. St. Mary's beats the 11th-ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs, 89-81 in Moraga. St. Mary's gets an unbelievable, and I mean unbelievable, performance from deep. 16 for 27 from beyond the arc. And this is something that we will come back to throughout uh, this conversation about this team is three-point defense. So they lose to St. Mary's, and then about two weeks later, they lose again at San Francisco. They don't lose again the rest of the season. They finish uh, WCC play 12-2. and They finish the season overall 25 and four. Uh, they beat St. Mary's in the WCC championship. Really not a, a competitive game there. So they end up 25 and four, like I said, and getting a number three seed uh, out west. And leading into the tournament, Gonzaga was one of the best offenses in the country. They're ranked top 10 pretty much all season long. But there were serious concerns on the defensive end, and there were also serious concerns uh, for a couple reasons on offense. Number one is they did not shoot threes. Adam Morrison and Derek Rivio were the only players on the entire roster in that 2005 season that hit more than 10 threes. Rivio at 77, Adam Morrison only hit 37. He only shot 31% from beyond the arc, and that's it. 
The closest other guy was David Pendergraf. He was eight for 17. Nobody hit more than eight threes all season long besides Morrison and Rivio. They only had 18% of all of their points all season long come from the three-point line. Obviously, the three-point line was not um, you know what it is today, but it was still a very valuable piece of basketball. And so only scoring 18% of their points, which was ranked 318th in the country at the time. Uh, you could see how that could be a problem in a game where they need points in the NCAA tournament. And then on the defensive side of the ball, there are multiple question marks. Um, and one of them was that they did not force turnovers. And I mean at all. They were in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball in turnover percentage. They did not force turnovers and they did not defend the three-point line very well at all. They gave up 36% of their points defensively from the three-point line, which was sixth most in all of college basketball. So if you get to an NCAA tournament game and you don't shoot many threes, you give up a lot of threes, and you can't force turnovers, at some point against a pretty decent team, you may be in trouble. And that is kind of what happened against Texas Tech. Very, very competitive game. Gonzaga, of course, wins their first round game as a number three seed. They beat Winthrop uh, 74-64. But then they get into uh, the second round against sixth-ranked Texas Tech. Gonzaga goes up in that game. They're up by nine at halftime. But they could not get the stops that they needed down the stretch. And they stopped scoring themselves down the stretch. And the reason they could not get stops is they could not force turnovers on Texas Tech. They had six the entire game. Texas Tech only turned the ball over six total times. And for Gonzaga, two for 13 from the three-point line in that game. The other problem with this team is that they really didn't have, they needed one more guard on this team for them to be, um, you know, elite, elite level with a chance to win a national championship. They had Derek Rivio, but he was still fairly young and a little bit undersized. They were unbelievable, uh, you know, in the forward position. Roni Turioff is a beast. J.P. Batista is unbelievable. Adam Morrison was Adam Morrison. And even Earl Knight, for the most part, playing as an off guard and a slasher. I mean, he was great against Texas Tech. He, was, he scored 14 points on 7 of 8 shooting. But they needed another guard behind Derek Rivio. And they used, uh, you know, PMAC, uh, Pierre-Marie Altidore Cespedes. And he had some moments here and there, but he wasn't... You know, he wasn't a scoring guard, and they needed another scoring guard uh, off the bench to, you know, spell uh, Derek Rivio. It was very similar to the 2015 Gonzaga Bulldogs, where they needed another guard to back up Kevin Pangos if Kevin Pangos ran into trouble against bigger, stronger, more athletic teams. And that's kind of what happened to Rivio in this 2005 NCAA tournament. I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Josh Perkins, if he never breaks his jaw, that he would have been the backup to Kevin Pangos, and maybe that 2015 team has enough uh, you know, juice to get over the hump and beat Duke to get to the national championship. That guy in the 2005 team was Nate Dowdney, and he tears his ACL. He, I mean, he transferred in from Texas Tech, was a you know, solid guard for them, averaged right around five points for Texas Tech. He was supposed to be the backup guard uh, after redshirting year, and he tears his ACL about seven games into the season. So they had to rely on a f- true freshman in Pierre-Marie Altador Cespedes, who's a good player, but, you know, and isn't really a scorer. He's more of a distributor, kind of a pest defensively. So that injury to Downey really loses that super, super valuable backup guard piece that this team really, really needed. With all that said, this was still an unbelievably good Gonzaga basketball team. And I just think that they're one piece short of, 
of being Final Four level good. Roni Turioff, like I said, averaged 16 points and nine and a half rebounds, was the WCC Player of the Year. Adam Morrison, his sophomore season, 19 points, five and a half rebounds. He shot the ball 15 times per game, and he shot 50% while doing it. So obviously he was a volume guy, but he was still efficient shooting the ball. 50% on that many shots is still really good. Of course, he struggled from the three-point line, something he rectified as a junior and got much better at uh, by the end of his career. But you could tell as a sophomore that this kid was going to be something really, really special heading into next season. Derek Rivio was a sophomore. Like I said, he averaged 13 points and five assists. And then JP Batista, his first year in a Gonzaga uniform, 12 and a half points and six rebounds. So you knew that they had three really, really good players heading into next season in a Morris, in a junior year Morrison, a junior year Rivio, and a senior year JP Batista. And that team was going to contend. Um, you know, for a number one seed out West. Sean Mallon, uh, he took a step up from his freshman to his sophomore year as well. He was kind of the backup big to Batista and Turioff. Sean Mallon averaged seven and a half points and four rebounds. Earl Knight started pretty much every game as an off guard, 6'6", kind of a slasher, seven points, five rebounds. And then kind of a cool tie-in at the end of this, two walk-ons uh, on this team were Brian Michelson and Steven Gentry, who of course are... Now, two of the three assistant coaches uh, on Mark Few's coaching staff. And the third is Roger Powell, who was on that 2005 Illinois team that beat Gonzaga in the first week of the season. So that's kind of a cool tie-in that all three of those guys were on the same court going against each other in a game back in the 04-05 season. That's going to do it for today's trip down memory lane. Finishing today's show, we're going to talk about Yvonne Ejim and her path to playing time. I mentioned her in the start of the show in our news and notes that she's been playing really well in the FIBA U19 World Cup. How does she translate that to the court this season? We'll break that down to finish today's episode. Before we do, today's episode is being sponsored by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate in all bars. If you're not sure which flavor you want, and there's about a dozen of them out right now, Feel free to get a mixed box with multiple flavors. All of them are soft, easy to chew, and absolutely delicious. Not only do they taste great, but they're healthy too. They're great for the health-conscious guy and also for anyone looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Most Built Bars have 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So go to BuiltBar.com today and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. It's LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Today's episode also being sponsored by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. The NFL currently in their preseason, and college football is just weeks away. So it's the perfect time to get in on the fun. You can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, college football, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Okay, as we mentioned in the news and notes, Yvonne Ejim has had great success so far in the FIBA U19 World Cup playing for Canada. And before I get into her path to playing time for this season, 
I want to talk about kind of her background and her preps career in Canada because I'm not sure so many people know uh, about her. She was a three-time MVP playing for Edge School in Canada. As a sophomore, she averaged 22 points and 14 rebounds. And then as a junior, she averaged just under 25 points to go with 15 and a half rebounds and three and a half assists. She was named Miss Alberta Basketball. She was one of the best prospect, if not the best prospect in the entire country coming into uh, the class or coming out of the class of 2020, I should say. But because she wasn't in the United States and women's recruiting rankings aren't anywhere near as advanced as the men's recruiting rankings, she wasn't ranked in the top 100 of all 2020 prospects. But I can guarantee you there is no chance they are 100 freshmen better than Yvonne Ejim in last year's class. She finished her freshman season last year at Gonzaga on the WCC all-freshman team. She shot 61% from the field. She proved to be the most ready of all of the first-year players on last year's roster. In the WCC tournament title game, if you guys remember, she scored 13 points. She grabbed 9 rebounds, 21 minutes, while half the team dealt with food poisoning. And she basically single-handedly kept them in that game and then made all the plays down the stretch uh, to help them win. She had the offensive rebound with a second remaining that set up the game-winning shot from Jill Townsend. If anything, she actually played less last season than what she probably should have. That is not going to be a problem this coming season. Her path to playing time is to make the sophomore jump. She averaged just under 10 minutes a game last season because she was playing behind Jen Wirth, Leanne Wirth, and Melody Kempton, all upperclassmen. The Wirths are now gone, so that's 48 minutes of playing time freed up in Gonzaga's front court. Ejim's got all the ability in the world to grab 20 of those minutes at least. And as we saw last season, and we're seeing again in the U19 World Cup, Ejim has a really, really strong offensive skill set. She's got really good size at six foot one. She can get deep positioning on post ups. She's really strong. But she also, and I think this is probably the most impressive part of her game right now, she's got the ability to catch and drive from around that elbow area or even all the way stretched out to the top of the key. She combines her strength and her size with a high level of athleticism and a little bit of finesse, especially around the rim. I think it's the perfect combination for an offensive skill package. But she's not a three-point shooter, and I think that's something that she's certainly going to be working on uh, and add to her game as time goes on. But her work inside and on the offensive glass, and I think that's really, really important here, is her work on the offensive glass. Those two things are enough to put up probably 15 points a game every night if she plays 20-plus minutes. She was 12th in minutes played last season and 5th on the team in offensive rebounds. She grabbed 9 offensive rebounds in her first round game of the FIBA U19 World Cup tournament over the weekend. 9 offensive rebounds in a game. She is a beast on the glass, and she is really, really efficient when she gets to the rim. If I had to put money on a leading score for Gonzaga this season, I think it's going to be Yvonne Ejim. I really do. I think she got acclimated as a freshman last year. She really, really came on at the end of the season. Um, You know, she got more playing time. She got trust in the staff, and she's having a fantastic offseason, playing internationally for her home country uh, of Canada. She is really showing all of the classic signs of a breakout sophomore year and somebody who's going to take that sophomore leap. 
And if she has the season that we are expecting, or at least that I'm expecting, Gonzaga is going to stay relevant in the top 25 and have another fantastic season. Okay, that is going to do it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. To recap, a bunch of the summer league action that takes place tonight. We will look back, of course, on the 2006 Gonzaga Bulldogs, and we will continue our path to playing time series with some words on the great Drew Timmy, the likely national preseason player of the year. Before we go today, if you are a baseball fan, betting on the MLB does not have to be a guessing game anymore. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating. You can follow me on Twitter at SCargo. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnZags. If you want to email the show with anything you'd like to say, feel free to do so. It's LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Everybody enjoy your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning. It is a great day to be a Zag.